I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. Today, I'm talking to Tishani Doshi, the author of Small Days and Nights, which is out now from W.W. Norton. Per usual, you can find the complete show notes as well as a full transcript of this episode over on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com. And of course, that will be linked in our show notes. So last year, Samaya sent me a message after she read this book and said, Kendra, you need to go read this book immediately. So like the good bookish friend that I am, I went to try to find it and buy it, but I couldn't. I didn't realize it wasn't out in the United States yet. So I am so thrilled that it is now available in the United States and that everyone can now go out, buy it and read this brilliant story. I have been so impressed with the quiet strength of this book and how it is so intricate and so delicately crafted that the more you look at it, the more skill you see that went into this novel. So I was so honored and overjoyed to be able to talk to Tishani Doshi about her novel. Tishani has published six books of poetry and fiction. Her debut novel, The Pleasure Seekers, was shortlisted for the Hindu Literary Prize and longlisted for the Orange Prize and the International IMPAC Dublin Literary Award. Small Days and Nights is her second novel and has been shortlisted for the TATA Best Fiction Award of 2019. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tishani Doshi. So congrats on the U.S. release of Small Days and Nights. Um, I heard Salman Rushdie had great things to say at like your lunch party. Yeah, that was very nice. He said it's a big book that's disguised as a small book. Uh, I think that is a beautiful description of your book because it definitely has this quiet strength to it which we'll talk about here in a second. But since this is the U.S. release, uh, the book has been out um, in other countries already. What has been the reception like uh, between, you know, different places that the book has been released? It's really interesting to have this long timeline of the book, you know, coming out in India and then in the U.K. and now many months later in in the U.S. And the sense of the smallness of the story when you're writing uh, something like that I suppose you never really imagine how the story will travel. And I'm glad that it has had the potential to travel because part of the reason or part of the motivation of the story itself is to insist in some way that those stories about the small place can have larger representations and impacts and they can speak for more than just what they initially start out as feeling like, like a story about one woman and her life, can that be a national story? Can that be something that says anything about a country? And so I'm, I'm excited about how uh, readers in different parts of the world can connect to that, you know? Yeah, there are a lot of universals in the story that I found that were just incredibly thought-provoking and, and very moving. And like you said, it's it, novel about this one woman's life, the small moments, but they have huge ramifications. And like we've mentioned, this is about uh, a woman, Grace. Who is Grace and where do we meet her in the beginning of the book? Grace is a, a woman who's sort of grown up in India. She's half Indian and half Italian. So she's a hybrid of sorts, somebody who is very much feels like an outsider wherever she goes. She's sort of been in an, a marriage in America that's sort of falling apart because her husband wants to have children. She doesn't. 
Then her mother dies. She returns to India and she finds out she's in her mid thirties and she finds out that she has inherited this house by the sea in a coastal village in Tamil Nadu. And she also finds out that she has a sister that she never knew about who's been in institutionalized um, at birth. And, and, and it, this is a point at which she decides to change her life and to kind of return to India and to, to become a caregiver of sorts for the sister to inhabit this house that her mother has left her. And, and, and that's really the, the place where the story, even though it moves to Venice and Charlotte, North Carolina, and a few other places, the real heart of the story is in this small village by the sea in Tamil Nadu and, and the days and the nights that, that Grace and her sister Lucia have together. So when you sat down to write Grace's story, uh, what did you know about her from the beginning? And how did that process start for you when you started writing this book? I wanted to write about a lot of things. I mean, I wanted to write about families and sisters, secrets. I wanted to write also something I wanted to capture about the contemporary experience of moving around or navigating space in India today as I understand it, uh, which is on one level a tremendous emancipation for a certain class and privilege of women, but also the sense of danger that one might feel because it it has been voted the most dangerous place for a woman to live. So how does fear act on the sense of solitude, the excessive, you know, solitude? How does that affect you as a person? Um, and so Grace really came to me as a character who is going to be struggling uh, morally to try and do the right thing, sometimes failing, and just trying to find her balance between inside and outside, between doing the right thing and failing. And really also, I think part of what I was trying to do is how does one create a system of supportive family structure when your family lets you down in the way that Grace feels her family has let her down? And so how do you find your alternative support system all of those things were part of, I suppose, what triggered her character um, and, and the story. And I find it really interesting what you mentioned about trying to find family and how, what you do in your family is let you down. Uh, so her sister Lucy has Down syndrome, and so she takes her out of the institution and they live together. And that's like the first part of the book is her talking about them living together. And uh, she also experiences what it's like to have a family. And she finds a a home in a lot of ways with Lucy, but of course there are always complications when your sibling has a disability. What kind of research did you do for uh, this type of disability and what the realities of that might look like in this part of India? Mm. Well, I mean, I didn't have that much research to do because my brother has Down syndrome and is autistic. And uh, so the very much my experience of growing up with a sibling in India who's differently abled and who I've sort of seen uh, go through life in a way and experienced uh, in a very different way, of course, because my brother lives at home and he's always a big part of the family. So it's not in the sense the secret that's been buried, but it was really a way of trying to understand how does a country or civilization treat the people who are, you know, weaker or poorer or not able to look after themselves. And 
uh, I guess I think about India as a place which has these incredible juxtapositions. And on one hand, there is terrific amount of humanity on every level. And then on another hand, there's a lot of cruelty and a lot of, uh, a lot of things that concern you, you know. And so I think I wanted to write about also the difficulty of caregiving and how I didn't want to sentimentalize the experience of it because I've, I've lived it and I know it. But I also wanted to write about how important it is to have systems of support, to nurture, because ultimately these experiences and relationships enlarge our idea of love and the world and they don't narrow it. And so I feel like, you know, that's part of what I wanted the story to, to, to lead in that direction, because I also think about how, you know, people are always, um, you know, the whole idea of the designer baby and the whole idea of the, you know, babies being made in the Petri dish, this idea of human perfection, which I think is hubristic because I think as humans, we fall short and that is part of what it means to be human is to understand, and how do we reconcile the fact that we are a violent species, but we also have capacities for great beauty? And that's really uh, one of the underlying themes of the book, I think. I can definitely see that nuanced portrayal of what it's like to be a caregiver as someone with a disability. I have um, disabling chronic illness and I've always had a caregiver. And so I was able to see some of, you know, Grace's frustrations were part of, you know, my mom's life, of my spouse's life. And I felt that was so nuanced in a time when people often romanticize caregiving um, or people with disabilities and they don't understand how difficult it can be. So I really appreciate that kind of representation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It meant a lot to kind of get that sense of the day-to-day living, which I think People feel that regardless of their abilities, that sense of the daily breakfast, the eating, the washing, and all of the sense of going through life, you know, when you, when you have to be the caregiver for someone to help them through those actions, their daily actions, how those can weigh down on you at a certain point and start to impinge on your sense of freedom. So the book is also about the sense of freedom and duty and a sense of how does one find a balance and how do you find the windows of your own escape within that uh, while caring, you know? So yeah, it was really a, a, a delicate rope to walk, I guess. But I, there are these like concrete moments, like you said, of everyday living, like she gets sick once and, you know, she's caring for her sister and her sister comes in for breakfast, but she can't get out of bed. And if she didn't have someone there mm. to come help her, she, you know, would be up a creek without a paddle. She wouldn't have a, a way to care for her sister or herself. I think those moments, those moments of these small things that become a crisis that other people may not even think about how difficult that might be. And you could see her trying to find that balance of finding space for herself and a place to breathe, but also caring for her sibling, which she's never had to really do before. So that was really interesting to see that dynamic as well. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, she didn't want to have children precisely because the sense of responsibility terrified her uh, that she would have to do these things. But then she inherits the sister, as it were, and she decides to go into it anyway. And, and yeah, understanding this whole balance of nurture for oneself, for other people. Of course, in the story, there are also the dogs that she starts to that sort of adopt her and that she, she starts to care for these, these beach dogs and then the garden. And really how uh, nurturing, in a way, can uh, heal us in some senses, but how it also is this task that's very much the case that also in India family is considered it's such an important 
part of the fabric of society and the family can also be oppressive and the family can let you down and what happens when you don't have that and you're alone and and that's the thing she thinks well I'm in bed and I'm sick and what what who's going to look after her if something happens to me and the enormity really of of that aloneness in a way is something I wanted to write about you know for women in India it's really an interesting moment and I think all over the world that um there is this sense of so much possibility and compared to sort of an earlier generation a, a great sense of freedom and also women are living alone and really this understanding of your space and your place in the world and how actually it is incredibly empowering on one level but in grace's sense because she also lives in this isolated village and there's nobody around how uh, that aloneness can become almost too huge you know and yet she's sort of very determined to stride out to do this by herself and and really i guess me questioning the fact that we we do need to find sense, you know support systems wherever we live whether the family is going to come up or the state or society and how are those things going to help us to live our lives and to to create these relationships of love and caring and throughout the book she's looking for that place but also happiness and it's Interesting because people in her life who aren't her family keep telling her what she should or shouldn't do to be happy, but she definitely is striving to make her own place in the world. And I, I feel like we've had a lot of writers write about this kind of women finding their place in the world, but I really thought you brought a fresh perspective to it. What did you want to bring to that conversation about women and happiness um, in addition to the idea of you know her finding a place being a nurturer and, and with her family? So there's so many things, you know, Kendra. I mean, I, I felt like one, the sense of not being an entirely likable character. I felt like I was very intent on making her a complicated character because women are also always being told, yes, this will make your life better or not. You know, we've all had those conversations and that sense of being nice to people, being wanting to be liked. And, and I, I really wanted to have a character who makes decisions that are maybe not always the best, but you know i could recognize in a sense um stories of people i know and my, my own stories that actually we have to find our own way and that it can be hard and actually that there are very strong dangers you know i mean one of the things is this question of violence and i would say that for from the indian perspective at least you know women are constantly being told don't live alone you know bad things can happen to you and bad things do happen women are murdered in their houses or flats or you know and so it's, it's always like if you're with the family or if you're with the husband or if you're within the accepted social structure then you will be safe and that is a course of fallacy because horrible things happen regardless and so i think part of the you know part of the thing that i wanted to sort of explore was the sense of really despite the dangers despite all of the you know difficulties what are the ways in which we can make our way in the world and what does that process actually look like and of course grace is a woman of privilege you know and um, i also have other characters in the book who don't have uh, the privilege the money the education that she has and i try to also you know give them agency and ask questions about how they can create space in their lives so it's it's very complicated and i think it's a very important question you know and i hope the book has a kind of nuanced view about about those things 
I feel like you were had so many things in this book, which I like we talked about a little bit in the beginning of our conversation. It's a very a quiet book in a sense. And then as you keep reading, you realize that there's more and more depth to it as you're moving along. How did you manage all of those threads together as you were working throughout the novel? Was it something that you found after you had written it, or was it something that you were intentionally weaving together as you were working on the book? I think I, you know, it's it's hard to say because I, I'm not one of those writers who has a sense of ending or a sense of direction when I write. I, I have a sense of strong sense of character, voice, mood, you know. It was very important for me to create that sense of mood, which was quiet, but also sometimes feeling claustrophobic, sometimes this real little sense of danger, sometimes this, this great expanse of beauty. And so those are things that I'm clear about in terms of I understand what I'm trying to do. But I also feel, you know, when I was writing this book, I hadn't realized that there were so many things I was quietly raging and fuming about. So some things uh, are quite clear, which is about, you know, gender violence. And I've written about that in poetry as well, but also about the environment and the relationship to the environment and our damage to the environment. And, and that's something that Grace thinks about as well. And, you know, this sense of how, like the place that she lives in is, is, is very beautiful. It's the sea and all of this stuff, but there's also threats of violence there that there's like, you know, the, the loads and loads of plastic. And then there's these, you know, a coal plant that might come up and there are these land brokers who are there constantly trying to grab land from people. And those are very real threats, which you also have to negotiate aside from the other ones, you know. And so I felt like in the book, I wanted to start with this very quiet story about a family and sisters. But then I wanted it to open up into larger universal questions. And that's something that I think happened uh, unconsciously in a way as I wrote. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of a book uh, we read last year, which was um, The Far Field by Madhuri Vijay. Mm. And Shalini in that book is also, it's a very you know, quiet book, but she's also like searching in, in that way. And it starts out very like, my mom had a secret kind of story and then it expands to a much larger conversation about the country. And that's such a great skill that you both have. Yeah. And the sense of also, you know, the, like I, I, I was quite aware of the fact that I was writing within the domain of small fiction, that is women's fiction, that is the area of the domestic, you know, we're always being relegated and told that that is, oh, you're just writing about your life or this small day-to-day thing. And really to rebel against it and to say that actually, you know, this is life, you know, all these small lives make up the larger fabric of what we think of as country and nation. And in fact, like these are the lives that we should be examining because they make up the larger larger stories. So it's not always that it has to be a story set against a war or a great political backdrop, because in fact, I believe that is as important and as valid a story to be reading about, you know? And so that's why, in a sense, the, you know, the the title Small Days and Nights is, is really about insisting somehow that that small is actually is representing the large. There are a lot of moments where I was holding my breath, especially with the dogs. Uh, I have a corgi, so I'm very much a dog lover. There are a lot of difficult things that happen with the dogs, which I won't spoil. But I was sitting on the edge of my seat trying to find out what is going to happen to all of uh, their animals whom they 
do love and especially Lucy has her favorites and um, you become very attached very quickly. Yeah. I wanted to, yeah, the dogs are, are such an important part of the book and they also represent, you know, that whole sense of being on the periphery. You know, they're not dogs as we know them as pet dogs. They're they're sort of wild. In India, we call them pie dogs. It's short for pariah. And, and they're, they're dogs that you see them everywhere on the street and they're tremendously resistant, intelligent street dogs. And, you know, so what happens in the book is that one dog arrives and then another and then before you know it there's this whole kingdom of dogs and and because they're out in the boonies there's no way to find a vet or you know so she finds herself overwhelmed by the caring of these dogs but it's also that because the conversations that she has with Lucy are limited because of her verbal skills and and with the with the housekeeper Malika limited because she doesn't speak Tamil isn't that isolation the language and the relationship with these animals is crucial because they provide provide a narrative to her place in that environment and they are sort of occupying that territory with her of being outsiders you know wherever she goes she feels she doesn't fit in and these dogs are somewhere between the domestic and the wild so they're both the same in that sense and so the, the dogs are really really important uh, part of the story and for me it was i had to write about it because because for I'm I'm a huge dog lover as well so and I have lots of dogs so there was this sense of I can't ignore them they have to be part of the story <laughs> and they definitely almost make themselves part of the story whether grace wants them to be or not yeah and that you know the 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 relationship the way that dogs have of being a, they, that the way that their success of dogs the way they've aligned themselves with human beings uh for protection and for companionship that story is very interesting in and of itself but how also even if you don't particularly think much about it and you know the way that they wheedle into your heart and home it's 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 very interesting even people who are resistant to dogs and suddenly they have an interaction and then oops you're a crazy dog lady. <laughs> One of the parts of the book that I really loved was the ending. And obviously we can't talk about that because of spoilers. But a quote I really loved at the end of the book, and I'm not going to give context for this so that I don't spoil it for anyone. She says, it's not about living away from the world, but living in it. And she's writing to someone and, and she says that, that she has discovered this idea that it's not about living away from the world, but living in it. And I feel like our conversation has been much around Grace trying to find her place and in the world and how that's going to work. And I felt that this was such a big moment for her and was incredibly hopeful. For much of the book, I wondered what would happen to her. Would it be hopeful? And I, I found that it very much was. For you, what role does hope play in Grace's story? And is that something that you always knew was going to happen, this hopeful note at the end? Or is that something that just came about as you were writing it? I think it came about as I was writing it, but I I generally have a sense of moving towards that direction. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a poet and, and a novelist, and I write a lot about the things that trouble me, the things that I'm bombarded with. And I find a way in poetry and fiction to to sort of try to uh, grapple with, with all of these things. And, and for me, in that way, I mean, I don't think of it as a cathartic exercise, but I just feel like this is what is available to us. We have art, literature, music, 
and and there is a role of transformation that happens where we take all those things of violence or cruelty and we are able to transform it into something else. So for me, the act of writing is itself a great act of optimism, you know, um, because you're you're transforming and you're making a beautiful thing in and of itself, even if it is difficult and there are moments of despair. And I feel that you know, as a as a person who lives in the world and who's writing about the world, it's very important to acknowledge beauty. And I tie that to the idea of hope, because I think as human beings, this is what is available to us. This is what saves us. And so, yes, for me, in all of my work, I want to retain that sense of that sense of beauty. I can never give in completely to the notion of of despair because then it's a, it's it's then you've lost you know and and so i feel like when you emerge from that beautiful skin of living in a novel for those days or hours however long you you take to read it you have to emerge from it with a sense of hope you know and and that's that's very important for me so i'm glad that you did feel that it was an incredibly beautiful ending um, and I, our, Samaya, who covers books published in India for us, let me know that the book was coming out in the U.S. And so I texted her immediately that when I was done and I was like, this book is incredibly devastating and beautiful and all of the things all at once. And I'm so grateful that she recommended it. Um, so many thanks to Samaya. And Oh, yeah. Thanks, Samaya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she knows how to pick them. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I always like to ask uh, authors we have on the podcast to recommend some women writers that they've been reading. Um, So who are some Indian women writers that you really love um, and would would recommend to our listeners? So there's a writer I absolutely adore, um, and her name is Anuradha Roy. I don't know if you if she, her work is widely available in the state. She's written uh, four novels and she's just a beautiful writer. She also writes on the edges of India, you know, she, like a lot of the books are set in small towns and I I'm very partial to that because again I feel that sense of a, a different story, a different um, different idea of, of India because we're always, you know, we're always getting the big Bombay novel, the, the great Delhi novel and all of that. And I think while those are valid stories, I'm also interested in what's happening on the edges. And Anuradha Roy is somebody who, whom I, I, really, I, I really adore her writing. She's a beautiful writer. She's written, the, the most recent one is All the Lives We Never Lived. And oh my gosh, Sleeping on Jupiter? Sleeping on Jupiter. Yeah, that was the book before that. And of course, there's Meena Kandasamy, whose new book I'm waiting to read. It's called Exquisite Cadavers. But Meena's also, you know, a poet, a novelist. Her last book was called When I Hit You. She's an incredible, uh, lyrical, fierce, political voice, a wonderful writer. I've heard about uh, when I hit you when it was uh, shortlisted or longlisted for the Women's Prize when it came out in the UK. Yes, it was shortlisted. Yeah, and I think that her new book has just been shortlisted for the Dylan Thomas or longlisted for the Dylan Thomas Prize. Yeah, I think she's a, a great talent and has such a strident, fearless lyrical voice. So you were doing some events in the, here in the US for a while, and uh, after that, what do you have planned next? Yeah, um, so yeah, I had uh, 
I had a lovely event with Mona Al Tahari talking about fiery feminist writers, which was wonderful. That was a couple of days ago. Um, next up for me is I'm going to a festival in Bergen in Norway. Um, and I'll be talking about small days and nights and girls are coming out of the woods. I'm excited about that. I'm doing the Hay Festival in Abu Dhabi. And I, the, the book will be published in Italian uh, by Feltrinelli in summer. So I'll be, I feel like I'm going to be talking about this book for a while, which is fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do so. And yeah, I think uh, for me, again, this question of the book landing anywhere seems to be such a such a joy and a miracle and I'm I feel so happy you know that that that's been possible well I am very excited for you and very excited that I read this book obviously a huge fan so I thank you so much for writing it and sharing it with the world thank you so much thank you and thank you for your lovely questions really it's been such a joy to speak with you about it I'd like to thank Tishani Dashi for talking with me about Small Days and Nights, which is out now from W.W. Norton. You can find Tishani on her website, tishanidashi.com, and on Instagram at tishanidashi. And of course, all of her information will be linked in our show notes. I'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can also find me at KD Winchester. That's K as in Kite, D as in Dylan, Winchester. And thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.